0: Can't have anything without a monorail in the 60s. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas
1: by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zulkoski. I'm Sean McIver.
2: And I'm Scott Elfstrom. In
1: 1968, the city of San Antonio enacted a remarkable program to transform this historic city into a modern tourist destination by hosting a fabulous World's Fair. Today, we talk about the history of San Antonio's famous Hemisphere 68. But first, what's your favorite war memorial in Texas?
2: Now, the obvious answer for me would be the San Jacinto monument. Um, But um, lately, uh, right around the corner from where I live, practically, there is a small um, but uh, very nice Veterans Memorial Uh, right here in Plano, and it's not a big deal. It's just a a little ring of statues, but um, it's a very nice little space, and every time I pass through there, uh, I reflect on the meaning of it all.
1: That's nice. Well, I I mean, i got to go big or go home, and we're talking about my hometown of San Antonio today, so I'm I'm just going to say the Alamo, the ultimate (laughs) Texas War Memorial. I mean... And I can't I mean, an iconic thing. I mean,
0: Phil Collins, come on, guys. <laughs> Phil Collins. Well, if we're going to talk about going big or going home, I'm going to say the ultimate Texas War Memorial is, of course, the Battleship Texas, our second episode and my favorite historical place to be in Texas. So it is a monument to Texas veterans everywhere. After the 1960 election
1: of Henry B. Gonzalez of San Antonio to the U.S. House of Representatives, he asked William Bill Sinkin to create a 20th century plan for his district. It would serve as a means to revitalize San Antonio and transform it into a tourist destination. Sinkin organized over 40 local business leaders, and an official committee was formed as the idea for a World's Fair emerged. In the fall of 1963, a meeting was held at the famous Minger Hotel with over 250 local leaders and businessmen to review proposals. Based on the enthusiasm of everyone, a formal study for the feasibility of a fair was commenced. And thus, bureaucracy continues.
0: (laughs) The study was a success, and the committee was fully on board for a World's Fair to commemorate the 250th anniversary of the founding of San Antonio. This was going to be set for 1968. Over the next five years, a diverse executive board met weekly to steer the commissioning and creation of this fair. This group formed a site committee who reviewed several potential sites for the location, including 200 acres south of the city. In the end, the board voted to purchase 92 acres of property one block south of the Alamo, and they were able to acquire urban renewal funds from the federal government to do so. There you go, more bureaucracy.
2: According to Red McCombs, Governor John Connolly played a significant role not only as the fair's Commissioner General, but also in state participation of the fair. One example was the stringent alcohol laws in Texas at the time. You couldn't buy alcohol by the glass, and what you could buy had to be brown-bagged. The governor understood that we couldn't have visitors from around the world and not be able to serve alcohol in a restaurant or bar atmosphere. Changing the law for the hemisphere, though, meant changing the law for the whole state. The majority of the state representatives came from rural areas that were against bars and alcohol in general, so getting new legislation passed was no easy task. At one point, a representative from Temple told the governor that he could not vote in favor, as his constituents would never re-elect him if he did. The governor replied, quote, I can help you with that. Without this bill passed, the funding for roads in your area may be delayed indefinitely. In the end, the Hemisphere got its bars and Temple got its roads.
1: (laughs) Aspirations for the fair grew when UNC Dingwall was named Executive Vice President of Hemisphere. Dingwall had been Vice President and General Manager of the Exposition in Seattle and was versed in the mechanics of acquiring an international status for a World's Fair from the Bureau of International Expositions in Paris. Ooh, la, la! From the beginning, hemisphero development was financed by a combination of public funding and private underwriting. Though it was strongly supported by the local business communities, local political leaders, and the press, the project had its share of detractors who questioned the acquisition and preparation of the hemisphere location. As part of the Old City, this area also contained old buildings and longtime residents, some of who took exception to finding their familiar surroundings designated as a urban renewal site. Fair planners received praise for utilizing some 20 existing structures in the final design, but the presence of such architectural
0: mementos did little to placate opponents. In September 1966, two years before the fair opened, the Hemisphere Executive Committee released the architect from his contract, possibly because of their reluctance to go along with his plan to save 120 historic structures on the site. As we said, 22 of them survived, Another person, Allison Peary, assumed his responsibilities. To receive federal funding, the Hemisphere officials were required by an amendment proposed by Texas Senator Ralph Yarborough to preserve as many as possible of the historic structures on the site. The U.S. Department of Commerce served as a federal watchdog in enforcing this amendment.
2: With the confluence of civilizations in the Americas as its overall theme, Hemisphere capitalized on San Antonio's ethnically mixed cultural heritage. More than 30 nations participated, many with exhibit pavilions in the international area named Las Plazas del Mundo. Canada, Mexico, Italy, Spain, France, and Japan hosted large pavilions. Other exhibiting nations included Belgium, Bolivia, the Republic of China, Colombia, West Germany and Berlin, Korea, Panama, Portugal, Switzerland, Thailand, and Venezuela.
1: The United States pavilion sat on almost five acres adjacent to the international area, and echoed the fair's theme with Confluence USA, a two-building complex that featured an exhibit structure and a massive circular theater. With additional construction, this was subsequently converted to serve as the federal courthouse. The largest pavilion, that of the state of Texas, was called the Institute of Texan Cultures and mounted displays of many of the ethnic and national groups that formed in modern Texas.
2: Now, I have to say, that's, that's brilliant right there. It's, it's a World's Fair but the largest pavilion was for the state of
0: Texas. As it should be. (laughs) Indeed. The hemisphere's theme structure and most iconic image is the 622-foot Tower of the Americas. Construction of this tower was noteworthy because of the method employed. The 1.4 million pound top house containing observation decks and a restaurant was built on the ground and then moved to the top inch by inch with 24 steel lifting rods. The process took 20 days. I guess since uh, Owen Dingwall was the executive vice president, he had uh, probably taken the idea from the Seattle Space Needle from the exposition in Seattle, I guess.
1: Which is probably... Tower of America's is taller. Thank you very much.
0: Right, and I think there's a tower in Montreal from the Expo 67, so... (laughs) There's a competition for towers! (laughs) World's (laughs) Fairs in the 1960s, people. Look it up. (laughs) Look, we have a tower gap. (laughs) (laughs) Okay,
1: anyway. Well, hang on. I I just think it's cool, though, that they built this million and a half pound thing sitting on the ground. And then you just, over 20 days, saw it every day you'd come out to be a little bit higher. (laughs) Just a little bit higher. I'm just going to assume they did that on
2: purpose. And it wasn't a... An afterthought.
1: (laughs)
0: Oh, Oh, this um, is supposed to go on top (laughs) of the tower. Okay. (laughs) Wait, we don't have a crane that can lift this? Um, So another notable construction feat was a quarter-mile extension of the Riverwalk, which is a famous walkway around the San Antonio River that was built in the 1930s. Um, and they extended it to the new convention center complex. This linked the Paseo del Rio development with the fairgrounds. So it linked two of the key devel- uh, de- development areas in San Antonio, downtown San Antonio, together. Now, some visitors, citing the architecture, the monorail that was being built. Of course. Can't have, a, can't have anything without a monorail in the 60s. And, of course, the slideshow of the nations claimed that the Hemisphere was a machine-made fair derivative of other world's fairs. Cultural
2: events at Hemisphere included theme exhibits such as the Confluous Cosmos, which presented space exploration, and El Encato de un Pueblo, which displayed 5,000 toys and miniatures from the Alexander Girard Folk Art Collection in a series of miniature views of Latin American village life. The fair sponsored a lavish production of Giuseppe Verdi's Don Carlo, an exhibit of major artworks from the Prado Museum in Madrid, sponsored by the government of Spain touring stage shows, performances by celebrity entertainers, and appearances by such groups as the Ballet Focorico de Mexico and the Bolshoi Ballet from Russia.
1: Major corporate exhibitors with individual pavilions included Eastman Kodak, Ford Motor Company, General Electric, General Motors, the Gulf Oil Corporation, Umblo Oil, which we now know as the Exxon Company USA, IBM RCA, and good old Southwestern Ma Bell. Frito Land Pepsi presented a very famous and spectacular outdoor event, Los Valadores de Papantla, the Flying Indians, and Coca Cola's pavilion featured the Croft puppets. You might know Sid and Marty Croft Sid from little things such as
0: Sid and Marty Croft,
1: Sigmund the Sea Monster, or uh,
2: and, and Banana, and the, banana the Magic the, the Magic Flute. No,
1: oh yeah, no. <laughs> uh, yeah. you go back and listen to the Six Flags episode for a lot more about the Croft the Croft Company. Institutional exhibitors included Alive, Incorporated, and even the Mormon Church.
0: And uh, I think the Southern Baptist uh, Convention actually had a pavilion there as I'm well. I'm
1: sure they did. I'm sure they did. There was, a, there was a
0: laundry list of
1: people who had who were at or the World's Fair in Texas. I mean,
0: so the Hemisphere opened on April 6, 1968, with the gates opening at 9 a.m. and official ceremonies beginning at 10 a.m. in the new convention center arena. However, the opening of the fair was just two days after Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated. So VIPs, including First Lady, Lady Bird Johnson and Texas Governor John Connolly, were escorted around the site under heavy security as they had both received death threats. Now, President Lyndon Johnson himself was scheduled to attend, but he decided to stay in Washington due to the security concerns. Opening day prices were $2 per day, $1 for children, Uh, You could get uh, passes, uh, multi-book passes to go for many different days. Thousands of visitors lined up on opening day to catch the remarkable sights of the fair. The opening day grand finale was a VIP dinner in the new convention center, followed by the performance of the opera, as we mentioned, Don Carlo in the new theater. This performance was a joint venture between the San Antonio Symphony and the New York Metropolitan Opera.
2: Hemisphere 68 had an announced startup cost of $156 million and was financially troubled from the beginning. Attendance never did match the expectations, and the fair lost money, reportedly around $7.5 million. This was despite Mayor McAllister's pledge that the exposition wouldn't cost San Antonio taxpayers, quote, a thin dime. However, maybe the expectations were too high. The fair did attract more than 6.3 million visitors, and it successfully focused international attention on the city and state. San Antonio became, for a time, once again one of the top tourist destinations in the state of Texas, and its riverwalk and downtown areas received a much-needed cleanup.
1: Like many world's fairs, and unlike the State Fair of Texas, the Hemisphere facility didn't become the permanent unifying element that its planners had envisioned. Many structures were either demolished outright or one unused for years at a time. Now that's not to say that the site went completely to waste, though. A variety of uses were found for some of the permanent structures left on the Hemisphere grounds, and many of the structures did become San Antonio landmarks. The Tower of the Americas stayed open and became a significant San Antonio tourist attraction. Hemisphere Arena became the home of rock concerts, rodeos, the local professional wrestling territory, and in the early 1970s, San Antonio's own NBA franchise, the mighty San Antonio Spurs. The Texas State Pavilion, the largest, became the Institute of Texan Cultures, a museum and library dedicated to the study of Texas and Texans and is now part of the University of Texas at San Antonio. The San Antonio Convention Center, named the Henry B. Gonzalez Convention Center, has continually been expanded and updated since 1968, as has the Hilton Palacio del Rio, which became the first modern hotel on the Riverwalk.
0: In the 1980s, after a decade of decline in the downtown area, again, the dynamic young mayor Henry Cisneros initiated a campaign to revitalize the Riverwalk and the Hemisphere grounds. Many of the unused remaining structures were removed, and around 15 acres of the grounds were redeveloped with waterfalls, fountains, playgrounds, and landscaping. This site was rechristened Hemisphere Park, and it remains a popular feature in the downtown district. The Riverwalk was also once again cleaned up and further extended, this time north of the 68 extension, to create a lagoon at the new River Center Mall and Hotel, located across the street from the convention center. Renovations and improvements once again had the desired effect of making San Antonio a popular spot for destinations and conventions. The Hemisphere Arena itself was torn down in 1995 when a much larger Alamo Dome was built across the interstate, but it did allow the convention center to once again expand. 2010, San Antonio Incorporated, the Hemisphere Park Area Redevelopment Corporation, to continue the effort to redevelop and improve the fairgrounds and to keep the grounds a key part of San Antonio's life. That's a cool place.
2: Yeah. I, uh... I've never been up the Tower of Americas. I've been near it, I've been underneath it, but uh, I've never actually been inside it.
1: Yeah, I've been in the, uh, in the Reunion Tower, but I've not been in the Tower of the Americas either. But I did get a great story. So as you know, like my parents are from the San Antonio area, I got a lot of family down there, and it was bothering people that um, I know and that they know about any hemisphere stories. There was a guy who went to high school with my dad And uh, played in one of the bands with Dad for a while. And he was telling me a story of... He was in the Tower of the Americas restaurant when um, the fair famously lost power. Uh, And he said that they were up there and everything went dark. And then looking down, sort of like that scene from uh, Die Hard, you could see all the fire trucks and police cars showing up. And then they had to walk down the entire staircase from the very tip-top of the tower down. So... Uh, it took a long time. He was exhausted.
0: And he said, uh, I'm never going to that <laughs> tower again. <laughs> I think we went up the tower when I was, a, we went to San Antonio when I was a kid one time. And I think we went up into the tower. We also went to the Institute of Texas Cultures. This has probably been in the 80s, the mid 80s, right when they, right before they probably started to clean up the place. Um, but I do, I remember the Memphis Institute of Texas Cultures was fantastic. So uh, it, it's a it's a great it's a great park it's a it's it is it's a landmark i mean it, you definitely always see the tower when you're going into downtown to you know either go to the um you know the river center mall or to the the alamo or any of the, the locations downtown i mean like la valita which is a little craft village is right next to it and you you, you oh, go there Up yep. in there yeah i
2: there um you know like i said i've never been to the the tower itself or any of the actual convention things but the the extension of the riverwalk is very much something i'm familiar with cuz i've you know mm-hmm. been up and down that and you can you can kind of tell where the the extensions different extensions started and, and
0: stopped well yeah because generally speaking we always we always would enter the riverwalk either from La Valita or from the River Center Mall cuz that was the yeah. 80 the 88 right. extension right. and that one's pretty clearly marked and then you can and then there's a, you go down that way and, and you can keep going to the convention center or you can, you know, turn right and then go into the the old, the traditional part of the river walk. Yeah. So doesn't, doesn't it end
2: the river end at river center?
0: Did it it ends at like, a, loop, it, yeah, like a lazy river type thing. Well, they're, yeah, they're not, they're not actually like loops through. They're actually lagoons. Mm-hmm. There's a lagoon. There's one route that goes into the convention center to its lagoon. And then the one going in the river center is a lagoon. okay so they're 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 extensions off they're like a y extension off of the the main river walk which is a big loop and it takes a long time to walk the full loop of the river walk just in case you're curious to do that it is better just get on one of those boats and go around it because it's a really long walk
1: so there's a couple of things we didn't really highlight that were i thought were interesting notes about this whole thing i mean i mean first of all there's the whole idea of let's make a world's fair and to go from idea mm. to execution is complicated. It takes a long time and a lot of money and a lot of political hoops. And nothing in Texas happens mm. without a lot of um, political greasing the wheels. So I love, like, the story of, <laughs> yeah. you know, let us have booze at the party and you can have your roads. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the, the whole area really did fall into decline in the 70s. And so there's people I know who sort of came of age in the 70s in San Antonio that would say, yo, you know, like, it was a bunch of strip clubs and little rundown crappy bars that were down <laughs> on the riverwalk. And you go there today and it's, it's clean and wonderful and there's great tourism, and these beautiful hotels. And it was sort of had a, a short burst of beautifulness of what happened. Uh, you know, I'd hoped in researching this that I'd find like the interesting, um, devil in the white city moment, which is a fantastic book about the, uh, the world's fair in Chicago from uh, turn of century. But you know, they, uh, there really, you know, there wasn't a lot of malfeasance or craziness going on. It was just a lot of genuine people that wanted to have a nice, sure. shine a nice light on San Antonio and have a great experience there. But, but uh, there's a there's some neat things like there's a uh, hotels and a lot of the construction and things that were used was was really innovative for the time. So you saw really like you know this really was like a shining moment of the construction and refurbishment of an interesting city and brought the world view together.
0: Yeah, I think yep. the Hilton Hotel, uh, which was built next to the convention center at the time was one of the first to use modular construction uh in the US. So it's yeah, it it was a it was a really interesting time. And it was really interesting also that um they did keep a lot of the the indigenous infrastructure, the indigenous buildings, you know, they kept around twenty buildings and houses and stuff and um those became restaurants and pavilions themselves. So, so so, some character of the old part of San Antonio was kept within the, the confines of the ground. Um, and I think I've heard that the park is really beautiful and uh, that's that's basically centered around the Tower of the Americas. The last
1: one I'll tell is a story that I heard from San Antonio folks. Uh, without fail, one of the— and I, I, I couldn't find any video or pictures or anything, there, but there was— a replica of um, like an Aztec pyramid done, and they had a big sound and light show. It was the big finale show that they would do at the end of the night, and mm-hmm. the um, the you know the people who were dressed in the traditional native dress would would carry the young uh, maiden to the top of the pyramid where the lava and the things bursting out of it and then the light show, and and uh, they would they would basically like strip her top off, and so she was topless. of this like young Maiden Princess would jump into the volcano, (laughs) and then that was like the big finish, and that's what everybody like. Without it, everybody was like, "Yeah, there was this like pyramid volcano thing, where like a naked lady jumped into it, and like, and we—that's what everybody (laughs) remembered. And it was like, (laughs) yeah, oh, San Antonio, stay classy. No no butter sculptures (laughs) here, my friend. (laughs) No world's largest ball of twine." No, it's uh, you know yeah. I, the Institute of Texan Cultures is a fabulous place. Uh, another another summer tourism destination. We keep bringing these up every week, but uh, it, uh, another one on i thirty five. Yeah, yeah, it's right downtown San Antonio. So when you're there, go see it. I mean, it's it's neat. It's a it's a museum about Texas and Texas cultures, and it and I just remember going on field trips and things there when I was a kid, and it's, uh, it's a very special place. So.
2: Is it a museum about Texas culture, history, and just what it means to be Texan? It's
1: pretty much everything we do (laughs) in a non-audio format. (laughs) But you can take this anywhere. That you have to go to San Antonio to see.
2: That's right.
1: That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. Why not follow us individually, too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two N's. And I am Scotticus. You love this show. You love Texas. You love Texas history. So get out there and do your duty. Fan of Texas, tell your friends and tell them to leave a review on iTunes, because that really helps us out to find new listeners just like you. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please go to patreon.com slash texaspodcast, where you, yes you, can become a come-and-take-it Texas Ranger. We hope you'll join us next time, and remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway.